If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of July 10, 2022. The podcast that brought forth juniper berries. This is your host, Shane Killian. First, a brief announcement. It's vacation time, so the wife and I are going to be out of town, and that means no more podcasts for the rest of the month. Regular podcasts will resume in August. Now let's diurulate the news of the bogus. Recently, we covered the outrageously corrupt kangaroo court known as the Southern District of New York that ordered all ISPs in the country to block pirate users, even though they couldn't even say who they were. The pirates behind Israel.tv and other pirate domains could just come back and create other pirate domains after the court ordered the DNS providers to remove them. So the court ordered every ISP that operates in the U.S., to take down any future sites from the pirates. I'll say it again, the unknown pirates. The injunction included everything from residential ISPs to cable and telcos to content delivery networks like Cloudflare, even though the ISPs had nothing whatsoever to do with the piracy to begin with. Now, thanks to Cloudflare, the injunction has been lifted. They had been threatened with contempt of court, a court they'd never even set foot in for noncompliance with the order. The CDN, with support from Google and the Electronic Frontier Foundation, fought back. Cloudflare had previously said, quote, Cloudflare cannot possibly be in active concert or participation with defendants with respect to copyright infringement or other prohibited acts on the website when no such acts are occurring. The court should deny plaintiff's motion as moot on that basis alone. They were referring to the fact that the DNS providers had already shut down the domain names and therefore Cloudflare couldn't possibly be providing access to the domains because they no longer existed. But the court had actually ordered the blocking of, quote, any domain address known today or to be used in the future by the defendants. When we don't even know who the defendants are. I know I keep saying it, but it seems important. Cloudflare said, quote, Plaintiffs failed to provide a shred of evidence, or even any argument, that any of the add-on domains are connected to Israel.tv, or that they are owned or operated by defendants or their agents. Any reading of the injunction that attempted to stretch it to cover the add-on domains would violate fundamental limitations on the scope of available injunctive relief. The plaintiffs got the court to issue an impossible order without any supporting evidence, and all third parties to the suit who were never given the opportunity to appear, had to comply or be faced with contempt of court charges. Now, with Cloudflare actually in court fighting it, they managed to get the injunction amended. The plaintiffs agreed to remove the phrase, third parties providing services used in connection with defendants' operations, and change, operating and or hosting defendants' infringing website, to operating defendants' infringing website. Moreover, the whole section stating the requirements and terms for such blocking has been completely removed. No ISP blocking in any form is required anymore. They also removed the section ordering all third parties, quote, used in connection with the pirate site, which had been stated to include ISPs, web hosts, DNS and VPN providers, and CDNs like Cloudflare. 
In fact, they had an entire section dedicated specifically to Cloudflare, who again wasn't a party to the suit. In addition, they removed the requirement for companies to take action against future domains while explaining that if a DNS registrar wants to object to a disabling order, they can do so without being held in contempt. The fact they even had to say that shows you how corrupt the SDNY is. Which will be even more the case if the judge refuses to sign off on the amendments, but hopefully they'll go through. It's just a mess sometimes just to be left alone when you're doing nothing wrong. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. On a similar note, the Copia Institute just filed a brief in the 11th Circuit Court stating the importance of Section 230 to vulnerable people. Politicians, especially those on the left, keep saying we need to gut Section 230 to protect the vulnerable. But that would hurt the vulnerable! Section 230 is what allows them to speak out against those hurting them and informing others that it's going on. It's vitally important that vulnerable people have an avenue for freedom of expression. They filed the Amicus Curiae brief in the case of MHV Amigal. It's one of those cases where something horrible happened to someone online, in this case the sexual abuse of a minor, and they blamed Omegal as well as Section 230. It was a horribly unthinkable scenario. An 11-year-old was chatting with an unknown person when the person told her she knew where she lived, provided evidence of that, and threatened her and her family if she didn't agree to perform sexual demands, which were recorded. Everyone wants this rat bastard caught and punished. But since it can be very difficult to know who it was, and the person might live anywhere in the world, the human tendency is to go for the easier target, especially one that is popular and has a lot of money, like Omegle. It's really no different to what happens after a mass shooting, and people screech to ban the gun he used. It's blame the tool, not the person. That is not justice. MHV Amigle was dismissed back in January on Section 230 grounds, and rightly so. That bastard alone is responsible for his behavior, and no one else. All of plaintiff's arguments to get around Section 230 failed. The court ruled. John Doe's video feed, his brandishing of CH's personal identifying information, and the threats he subjected her to were not provided by Amigle in any sense, merely providing the form where harmful conduct took place 
cannot otherwise serve to impose liability onto Omegle. They also made a FOSTA claim, which failed because there was no way Omegle could have specific knowledge of what was going on. A general knowledge that this sort of thing happens sometimes is just not good enough. Now, the plaintiffs have appealed to the 11th Circuit to get the lower court's judgment reversed. The Institute wrote, The Copia Institute then filed its amicus brief to explain to the court what is at stake if it reversed the decision to find that Section 230 didn't bar these claims in order to try to help this very sympathetic plaintiff. The upshot? Much more trouble for future sympathetic plaintiffs who will lose their ability to speak online safely, if not entirely, as platforms go out of business, refuse more user expression, or stop moderating any of it, which would leave their communities cesspools of even more abuse. And we know this dire prediction is true, because we've already seen it happen where Section 230 has been weakened before or otherwise unavailable. As we've seen play out in the wake of FOSTA in particular, Section 230 does critically important work staving off this sort of dire future where vulnerable people lose all ability to safely use online systems to strengthen their position or even just call for help. One of the cases they mentioned was UMG v. Shelter Capital Partners, the firm behind the video site Vio, the original home of Bogosity, where Section 230 wasn't available to protect the platform because the DMCA had invalidated it for copyright purposes. Eventually, the courts ruled that Vio was not liable, but by that point, the platform had already been bankrupted. The process is the punishment. In their brief, they wrote, In cases like these, where a remedy is being sought not from the person who caused the actual harm, but instead from a third-party internet platform, there is much more at stake than just the victim's interests, or even just this particular internet platform's interests. Rather, this case affects all platforms' interests, and consequently, all internet users' interests, including those of other vulnerable people who depend on internet platforms to be available to help them speak online, including against those who would hurt them. It would have this effect because cases like these are really speech cases, and laws like Section 230 that protect speech are on the books for good reason. They are diminished at our peril, because doing so imperils all the important expression they are designed to protect. Couldn't have said it any better myself. If you're on the Wi-Fi in the coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Okay, let's talk about some good news. Quantum computing is developing at a snail's pace, but it is developing. 
There might be physical limitations that prevent 256 qubits from being put into superposition and then read before even a single one is destroyed by thermal or electromagnetic noise. But with cryptography, you don't take chances. You assume the worst is coming and prepare for it. And among all of the promises of quantum computing comes the very real threat of it breaking our encryption algorithms, especially the asymmetric algorithms used for digital signatures. With hashing algorithms and the classic symmetric key algorithms, quantum computing would effectively cut their bit strength in half. AES-256 would have the strength of AES-128. Not a huge problem, just increase the key length. SHA-256 can today be replaced by SHA-12, and there could always be a 512-bit extension of the Rindale cipher used by AES, although it would need a new standard to define it. But the problems are with the private-public key pair algorithms, especially the elliptic curve algorithms like Curve 255-19. These algorithms rely on the difficulty classical computers have of calculating prime factors, a difficulty not shared by quantum computers. Given enough qubits and enough tries, and a quantum computer can go through them like tissue paper. Which is bad, because for classical computing there's nothing better. We can, with complete security, connect to a completely unknown computer, negotiate a secure symmetric key unique to that session, and anyone who records the encrypted conversation cannot decrypt it, even if they later get access to one or even both private keys. Cracking that could make our entire online lives, including banking and e-commerce, vulnerable to anyone with the resources to spy on it. So the search has been on for post-quantum algorithms. These are algorithms that can run on classical computers, but be resistant to quantum attacks. NIST has just announced four selections to become part of their post-quantum cryptographic standards. Although the standards themselves aren't expected to be finalized for another two years, these particular selections are final and should be considered part of the secure standard. Secretary of Commerce Gina Riamondo said, quote, Today's announcement is an important milestone in securing our sensitive data against the possibility of future cyber attacks from quantum computers. Thanks to NIST's expertise and commitment to cutting-edge technology, we are able to take the necessary steps to secure electronic information so U.S. businesses can continue innovating while maintaining the trust and confidence of their customers. She's tooting her own horn a little too much. NIST didn't do anything regarding the development and testing of these protocols. They wisely left that to multiple experts and groups all around the world. Cryptographers, including many who were the creators of the very standards that are now under threat, submitted their algorithms to the world, and other experts tested and vetted them. NIST director Laurie Lacasio was more generous, quote, our post-quantum cryptography program has leveraged the top minds in cryptography worldwide to produce this first group of quantum-resistant algorithms that will lead to a standard and significantly increase the security of our digital information. For general encryption such as secure websites, they selected the Crystal's Kyber algorithm, which uses small key pairs that can be exchanged easily and quickly by both quantum and classical computers. With a 512-bit key, the security is roughly equivalent to AES-128, and Kyber-1024 is roughly equivalent to AES-256. Cloudflare and Amazon have already included Kyber into their cryptographic libraries. For the all-important digital signatures, they selected three, Crystal's Dilithium, Falcon, and Sphinx Plus. Dilithium is the primary recommendation, being fast and efficient, 
with Falcon available for applications that need smaller signatures. Sphinx Plus is slower and larger, but it's based on a different mathematical principle and might be an option if flaws are found in the others. IBM has already included dilithium for its secure tape backup systems. Of course, other standards can include their own algos. OpenSSH, one of the most widely used remote access tools in the world, incorporated NTRU Prime. NTRU was a NIST finalist. The current recommendation is a hybrid mode where two signatures, one with a post-quantum algo like dilithium, and one with strong classical protections like ED25519, so that if there is anything about the post-quantum algo that makes it less secure on a classical machine, you're still protected. And for those of you wondering, yes, these algorithms could be used by future cryptocurrency standards as well. Regardless of what happens with quantum computing, everything should be well protected. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to brachiate this week's biggest bogon emitter. And this week it goes to the Democratic Party, who, at the North Carolina State Board of Elections, wrongly and possibly illegally denied the Green Party recognition as an official state party. Remember this next time a Democrat tells you they're all for defending democracy. In a straight party line vote, the Democratic majority voted to deny recognition with the Republicans voting in favor. Their excuse was the existence of an investigation into fraud and irregularities by the Elias Law Group. That's a partisan Democratic group that is trying to get North Carolina's new, far less gerrymandered districts thrown out. They're infamous for using lying, bullying, and harassment to get what they want. And make no mistake, the whole purpose for it is to stop Matthew Ho, the Green Party's candidate for U.S. Senate, from being on the ballot for fear that he will take votes away from Democratic candidate Sherry Beasley. According to Ho, the decision should have been clear, quote, We needed 13,865 verified signatures. We turned in 22,500 signatures. Of that 22,500, about 16,000 were verified by the county boards of election we were about 2,100 over what we needed to get on the ballot. But soon after the signatures were omitted, the Elias Law Group got their names and addresses through a public records request and used their goons to call, text, and even go to the home of signatories to demand that they remove their names from the petitions. Funny thing, the petition signatories don't give their phone numbers. There isn't even a slot for it on the form. So how did they get them? <laughs> 
very troubling. Also troubling is this recording of one of the calls submitted by a Green Party member. You're calling to confirm whether or not I sign a petition. Mass, who are you calling with? What organization? Oh, is this is this the Green Party? Yes. That's an outright lie. They're with the Democrats. You're with the Green Party? Yes, and we have you listed as wanting to get the candidates on the North Carolina ballot. Did you sign that petition? So, so you are calling as a representative of the Green Party? As a volunteer, yes. Okay. Yeah, I I did sign it. <laughs> okay, and would you say you strongly support it or just somewhat support it? I mean, I don't think I'd sign something unless I strongly su support it. Okay, well, thank you for confirming animal participation in elections is important. If the Green Party is on the ballot, it will take votes away from Democrats, giving Republicans a huge advantage that will help them win North Carolina in 2022 and 2024. Yeah, the guy's obviously reading from a script. There's far too much at stake to let this happen. Are you interested in asking to have your name removed from this petition or leave it as is? I'm confused. So if you're with the Green Party, why are you asking to remove are you a, I'm sorry? <laughs> yes, I totally am. Another Green Party supporter, Janet Nagel of Greensboro, said she also received misleading and harassing calls. Quote, It seemed illogical. Why would she be telling me that? So I told her that it was not a correct assessment because people who would be voting for the Greens were not going to be voting for the Democrats. Then, as a non sequitur, and this was the part that really concerned me, she said, so would you want to remove your name from the petition? Nagel told her that she, quote, should be ashamed of themselves for making these phone calls, after which the caller hung up. Ho said, quote, Sadly, these were not isolated incidents. The Matthew Ho campaign and North Carolina Green Party have received numerous reports of calls and in-person visits to voters who signed the Green Party's petition by individuals misrepresenting themselves as associated with the NCGP and who pressured these voters to disavow their signatures. And they even outright lied to people, saying that if they removed their signatures, it wouldn't change the party's status since the Green Party is already on the ballot. Quote, They're calling people five times a day. Actually, one person just told us that his wife yesterday was called four times in three and a half hours by them. There's all kinds of levels on this. There's the harassment, there's the misrepresentation, and then there's the bullying or the shaming. Ho himself got texts saying that the Green Party members on the ballot will take votes from Democrats and help the Republicans. When he asked, what organization is this, they replied, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. He posted screenshots on Twitter and tweeted, I just received this text. This is DSCC attempting to subvert the North Carolina Green Party's successful petitioning for ballot access. They are proving that neither Democrats nor GOP care for democracy, only maintaining power. Please help us fight back. They used the same tactic in Montana, where they sued to have enough signatures removed to block the Green Party from the 2020 ballot. They're that afraid of a little competition. Ho said the supporters told him that, even after they told the Democratic thugs they didn't want their names removed, they kept getting them coming to their homes. Fortunately, it seems like it was a big waste of time and money for them. Karen Brinston Bell, executive director for the State Board of Elections, said that only 145 people contacted the board to have their names removed, much lower than the 2100 needed to block the party's ballot access. 
the SCC spokesbully Amanda Sherman Beatty flat out admitted this was what they were doing. Quote, Since the North Carolina Green Party hired a petition-gathering firm with a documented record of committing fraud, we are reaching out to voters to ensure they have not been deceived. More bald-faced lies. She's talking about First Choice Contracting, which was only employed by the Green Party for about a month back in January, and they were fired because they only collected about 100 signatures, only 50 of which were usable. They didn't even bother turning them in for certification. They had plenty without it. But that was enough to have the unelected tyrants on the Board of Elections decide to violate their constitutional rights and keep them off the ballot. Brinson Bell said, quote, In their individual situation, it might not raise a question, but when you look at these cumulatively, we feel like there is a cloud over how many signatures are valid. Do we need to go back to the county boards of election to question that? Do we need to have conversation with these signature gatherers? There's just a ton of concern about what we're finding and the amount of irregularities and possible fraud that has been identified already with the signature pages that we have received. Before the vote, Green Party attorney Oliver Hall asked the chair, Damon Sarcosta, quote, Is there any question as to the validity of the 15,953 signatures that have been validated by county boards of election? The chair's reply? Sir, I don't want to get into the details of a criminal investigation, but I have questions sufficient in number to not be willing to vote for certification today. Hall pointed out that they were acting in presumption of guilt that the signatures were invalid when the presumption should be that the signatures were valid unless there's some basis to show otherwise. Sir Costa replied, quote, Mr. Hall, you are out of order. Go ahead and mute Mr. Hall. Is there anyone out there who objects to me calling them thugs because that's what they are? So all of that makes the Democratic Party this week's biggest bogani matter. to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's sacrifice this week's... Idiot And this week it goes to the Democratic Party. Geez, it's going to be one of those election years, isn't it? Yet again, and for the third time in less than five months, congressional Democrats have called in the CEOs of social media companies to pressure them into censoring content from their platforms. And make no mistake, this is censorship. 
Don't even try giving me that crap about how they're private companies and they can do what they want. No. In 1972, the Supreme Court ruled in Norwood v. Harrison that it is, quote, axiomatic that a state may not induce, encourage, or promote private persons to accomplish what it is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish. For more than half a century, courts have held that governmental threats can turn private conduct into state action. And this was built on more than half a century of precedents, most notably Bantam Books v. Sullivan, where the Supreme Court ruled, People do not lightly disregard public officers' thinly-veiled threats to institute criminal proceedings against them if they do not come around. It would be naive to credit the state's assertion that these blacklists are in the nature of mere legal advice when they plainly serve as instruments of regulation independent of the laws against obscenity. Their operation was, in fact, a scheme of state censorship effectuated by extra-legal sanctions. They acted as an agency not to advise, but to suppress. And that was to stop precisely this. The government couldn't bully a private company into censoring and then claim it wasn't a First Amendment violation because the company decided to do that on their own. They said the committee was going to focus, quote, on misinformation and disinformation plaguing online platforms. You can guess what that means. It means stuff they don't like. Or since the midterms are this year, it means stuff that makes them look bad. The committee's organizers, Chair Frank Pallone Jr., along with the chairs of the two subcommittees, Mike Doyle and Jan Schakowsky, all Democrats, said, quote, These online platforms have allowed misinformation to spread, intensifying national crises with real-life grim consequences for public health and safety. This hearing will continue the committee's work of holding online platforms accountable for the growing rise of misinformation and disinformation. Which, of course, they can't do under Section 230, but that's the thing about bullying. They don't have to actually pass anything. They don't actually have to make it a law. They just have to make things so costly and annoying for them that they'll comply. They actually admitted that they'll do what Norwood specifically prohibited. Quote, We must begin the work of changing incentives driving social media companies to allow and even promote misinformation and disinformation. A notable case of this was when Democrats openly bullied Facebook, Apple, and Google to get rid of Parler. After several tweets from Democrats demanding that they take action, less than 24 hours later, they all complied, and Apple removed Parler from its store at the time the most downloaded app. Others followed, removing the app and even the internet hosting service of Parler, shutting it out of action for good. Outright censorship under Supreme Court precedent. They did this within President Donald Trump two days after they got control of Congress. And it's clear that they're going to continue doing it until they're stopped. So remember this next time a Democrat tells you they're all for freedom of speech. It's almost starting to sound like a smokescreen. So all of that makes the Democratic Party also this week's... Idiot wraps up this right now the sort of person we're looking for is an aggressive drunken lout with the intelligence of a four-year-old and the sexual sophistication of a donkey edition of the bogosity podcast i hope you enjoyed it if you did please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion subscribe at patreon or subscribe star and you can listen early and ad free thank you for listening 
Remember, there's no podcast for the rest of the month, so we'll see you in August. Until then, here's a quote from Eugene McCarthy. The two-party system has given this country the war of Lyndon Johnson, the Watergate of Nixon, and the incompetence of Carter. Saying we should keep the two-party system simply because it is working is like saying the Titanic voyage was a success because a few people survived on life rafts. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.